You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Harvest. We will... uh be rejoicing with that song later on as we close the service as well, uh, but they just wanted to introduce it to you as well. If, you, uh, if you've been with us for the past two weeks, you know we've been in a series called Armored, and uh, today's the third week, which means this series is wrapping up. Um, if I didn't have a chance to know you or get to know you, um, if you're new to Harvest, my name is Andy Hoffman. I'm the, the pastor to students and young adults, and uh, Like I said, over the past two weeks, we've been talking about spiritual warfare and and the battle that is the life um, of the the believer. So two weeks ago, we looked at the the reality of the battle through Ephesians chapter 6. Last week, we looked at finding purpose in the battle through through Paul and the example of Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 through 12. And and this week is my my absolute favorite, right? This week is my absolute favorite. Um, We were talking about the victory in the battle. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open with me to Luke chapter 4 this morning. If you need a Bible, just go ahead and raise your hand. We want you to be able to follow along and, and track with us as we walk through um, this sermon this morning and through this text. And, and one thing I'm thankful for is that every battle, every battle has an, an end. And even thinking about how appropriate this is to, to remember and say that every battle and everything has, has an end, Right, And the hope that is that at the end of the battle, um, whatever battle you have, like we will have victory in it and we'll have victory uh, with it. But church, know this. The spiritual battle is not the battle within ourselves. And, and the victory in the battle is, is not the victory in ourselves. We have victory because of Christ and we have victory because of, of what he has done. And so from the onset, we must realize and realize it often. And finally, that when we get to a place where we can press into God when the battle is raging, um, <laughs> we, we, we can have victory. And unfortunately, though, that this, this, this is after this is after we've tried to do things our way. This is after we've, we've tried to do everything our way. You know, we, we can finally find victory in the battle, but it's usually only after we've tried doing things our way and failed miserably. And then we let our guard down at the end of the fight. And so we're going to put this into some context for us, and then we're going to read this, and then we're going to pray, and we're really going to jump into how do we have victory in the battle. And, and, a, and a better suggestion is why do we have victory in the battle? And so to, to set up some context for this quickly, right, we, we, we're looking at Luke 1 through 3. So we see this, Jesus has arrived. Everyone say amen. amen. Amen, right? Jesus has arrived, right? He has been prophesied. He has been waited for. Uh, John, uh, well, he's been born, obviously, right? And so then we, we see this, that John has prepared a way for him, and John has been waiting for the coming Messiah. And then Jesus is, is, is baptized um, as, a sense of, as a sense of obedience to the Father and as a sense of an example for, for us, for, for his followers. And the last line we see is this. The dove comes from heaven. Many of you guys know this line. It says, this is my beloved son with who I am well pleased. And then we see this long genealogy and then Luke chapter 4 hits. So let's, let's read this together. The temptation of Jesus and it says this, Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1, says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, 
being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And then the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and, you shall serve, uh, and only shall you serve. Verse 9. It says, and he took him to Jerusalem. And he set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and... On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until he had an opportune time. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, we love you. And God, we... We look at this text, God, and so often we, we know what it says and we read it, God, but we often don't, don't internalize what this means for us. And so, God, this morning I pray that you would allow the Spirit to, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear the beauty of Christ. I pray, God, that in, as we look at this, the victory in the battle, God, I pray that we would walk away knowing that we, there's, a, there's a reality of a battle, God, but you have the victory in it all. And so, God, this morning I pray that you would just work in us and through us. God, I pray that we would not leave here the same as we came in because of your glory and your majesty and your authority and your dominion. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So there's only two main points for you guys this week with a lot of sub points. Uh, so I don't know if that's a good thing or, or a bad thing. Um, but we, we look at this text, right? And both these points that we're going to get to, right, we must be reminded often that, that in, in my life, in, in our lives, in, in the life of, of the believer, here's the first thing. And thankfully, Jesus overcomes Satan's temptations for us. Now, we're going to qualify that statement, because if I just kind of left it there, that's pretty vague, right? But Jesus overcomes Satan's temptations for us. And so on the onset, on the very beginning here, if you are a, a Christian, you, you know this to be true. We, we, we think it to be true, and, and we often believe this to, to be true, uh, but we often forget this is true. And we, we find ourselves struggling with the same junk we've been struggling with for the past however many years because we somehow forget that Jesus has won the victory for us. We forget often that Jesus has been tempted like we have. We forget that Jesus has, has been shown the face of opposition like we have. We forget that Jesus lived the life that we could not. And so we're going to walk through this text this morning. So go back with me to, to chapter 4, starting at verse 1. It says this, And Jesus... Right? And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by, by the devil. Now, here's the first thing. Like, in order to, it says he was led. So in order to be led, we have to know that he's actually following something. Right? So in this case, we know that Jesus is, is being led by the Spirit, which means he is, he is following the, the Spirit. And he walks right into a sense of spiritual warfare. Now, the question is, did he know he was being, going to be led into the desert? And, and honestly, when we start asking those questions, I think we actually start taking away from what the scripture is actually saying. 
We get focused on, well, did he know? It, it, honestly, it doesn't matter if he knew. The fact is he went. And, and he, he was there in, in the midst of this. And, and Jesus was led by the Spirit. And so, church, we need to know this. There's two realities already from the onset that we know about spiritual warfare. Some of these things we've, we've kind of walked through in the past several weeks, but there are two different things that we know about spiritual warfare. Here's the first one. Some of the greatest temptations come after some of our greatest spiritual successes. How many of you know that to be true? Some of our greatest temptations come on the, on the heels of some of our greatest spiritual successes. Jesus was just baptized, and he was just put out into his public ministry, and, and not even a verse goes by that he was led into the, the desert to be tempted by the enemy. He was baptized, being obedient to God, commissioned to ministry, and now this. This is kind of like if you, if you ever ever in student ministry in the church, and, and we, in the States, we, I don't know if you call that here too, right? But we call it the camp high. How many of you guys have ever come back from a retreat or a camp or anything like that? And you're like, yes, Jesus. And then the next day, or sometimes before, like on the bus ride home, the devil's like, nope. And so you're, you're riding this, this, this camp high. Like, I, I mean, I've seen this firsthand in my own life because man, I was coming back from Panama City Beach when I was in junior high. And I'm coming back and I'm super excited. The whole week was about like being bold in your faith and sharing the gospel. And so, you know, we, we stopped, of course, back then we, we weren't riding buses. We were in these sweet 15 passenger vans. That's a whole other story, right? But, uh, you know, I, I got out of the van and we we're at this gas station. You know, like every junior high kid gets, goes into the gas station, they go to the bathroom and then they get Mountain Dew and Pixie Sticks. That's usually how it works. Right, and I'm walking. I'm walking out of the uh, the, the the convenience store here, where we're getting gas, and I'm super amped up, partially caffeinated and partially because of Jesus, right? And I, and I'm walking out, and and there's a a man walking in, and I go, "Hey, if you die today, what would happen to you?" He looked at me square in the eyes, and he says, "What's my name, kid?" And I'm like. Ah, and in the midst of that, he walked right by me. Here I am, hold my, my snacks for the van ride, fired up about Jesus and just completely deflated because of one statement and one, and one sentence. Now, you know, the reality of that is that my temptation now for up until I was probably 18, 19, 20 one of my biggest temptations was I can't share the gospel with people that I don't know. Because I'm like, man, if I don't know their name, how am I going to tell them about Jesus who knows their name? I mean, yeah, I could start with that, but at the end of the day, like, what happens if they start asking those kind of questions? You know, so, so we, we have these, these, these successes and these spiritual highs, and, and then, like, we're just so deflated because we, we're like, we, we, we put our guard up and then down and all these things, like, and there's times, like, we're walking so closely to, to God, then, then something terrible happens, or, 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 or you feel that you're doing great in your walk, but then all of a sudden, you turn around, and you get sucker punched. You know, and even, even statements like that, I think about one of my mentors, Mark, where his wife Susan was battling breast cancer for years and then she went to remission and everyone's, praise God, that's awesome. And three years later it came back and eventually took her life. And you're like, what's going on? God, what's going on? Like I'm trying to do everything I can. Like I'm following you, I'm walking with you, but yet this still keeps happening. And so that's one of the, the, the truths that we know about spiritual warfare, the church that we must be prepared for. 
that these, these greatest temptations often come on the, on the hill or the crest of our spiritual successes. You know, here's, and here's the, here's the second thing outside of that, is that God allows spiritual warfare as a means to strengthen and purify our walk in Christ. That's kind of looking back on the past several weeks. And as a reminder, we looked at last week, we, we see, see Paul's thorn in the flesh that, that God would not take, though Paul begged him and pleaded with him three times. And, but obviously God saw that he would, he would be fitting to have that. And, uh, and then we see Peter's denial as Jesus is about to be led away to the cross. And he's like, I would never deny you. And then all of a sudden he denies him three times and with Jesus looking at him as the rooster crows. But then ultimately we see after his resurrection that he was restored by saying, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then you look at, you look at like Job's devastation, his entire life just wiped away, but he was following God. The scriptures make that clear. And the, the enemy had, had a, a, a hand in that. You know, then we, we, we look at that and we say, okay, well, I know, Andy, I know that God will not give me more than I can bear. Well, then we kind of get wrapped up in that because we forget in context that that's about temptation and not necessarily about trials or suffering. And so it's kind of a half-truth, right? Like God will not give us more than we can bear in temptation because he will give us a means of escape from it, but not necessarily in trials or suffering. And so it's a, it's a half-truth. And, and look, I, I agree with John Piper, right? So I have a Piper quote, right? It says, he says that God will not give you more than you can bear, only true if we mean God will never give his people trials in which he will not sustain them and bring them through to everlasting glory. See, we look at like Philippians chapter one, right? We see like God will complete the good work that he began in you and bring it to completion, right? We see uh, in 1 Peter 1 where God's power is guarding the life of, of, of the believer, and then, and then we see Romans 8, we are more than conquerors than those who are in Christ Jesus. So we, we see all those things, and the point of it all is that if we, would just, if we press deeper into Christ and rely on him, we'll be comforted by him, and we'll rely on him even more. And even in that, it's kind of a, a, a pithy saying because we're like, oh, just, just trust more in Jesus, just press more into Jesus. And, and though those things are true, we often find those things that and when we're being attacked and when we're trying to find victory, it's difficult. I'm not going to be up here and say like, oh, just, just do this. Just press into God. It'll be a one, two, three step and you'll be okay. Sometimes, man, this lasts for a long time. But, and every time scripture says like, but or therefore, I kind of, woohoo, Right? It's like, but we look at this, but we, we look at like Adam, just as Adam was, was tempted in the garden, Jesus was tempted in, in the desert at his weakest point. He was, he was out for 40 days and he hadn't eaten for 40 days. Could you imagine not eating for 40 days? A lot of us don't like going eating without 40 minutes, let alone 40 days. And so Jesus is obviously at a, at a weak point. Jesus is, is obviously at, at a place, man, where he needs to trust and rely on God the Father. And, and God the Father, just as he called Jesus his son, right? And Jesus following the, the, the spirit, the enemy tries to either prove or disprove that he is who he said he is. And so now he, the devil tries to, to bait Christ. Look at verse three with me. It says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, dude, he was just baptized and a light in heaven came and a voice from heaven spoke. Like, what? if I'm seeing that, I'm not going like, yeah, who are you? 
Right, and so we see this point, like, if you are the son of God, so he has three temptations here, if you are the son of God, and it's kind of along the same lines as, as, as the devil in the garden of Adam, like, so it's almost the equivalent of like, hey, did God really say? Like, did God really say? If you are the son of God, right, so these kind of like very similar phrasings, right, and we, we, we see that, that these words are a direct challenge to, to Christ, and the thing is, when we go back to the garden, and we'll see this too, is that the Adam and Eve in that moment desired the fruit of the tree more than they desired the presence of God. And within our, even our own lives, so often we desire the things that are tangible outside the presence of God. And, and we, we begin to see that these words are, are a direct challenge to Christ. And we begin to see the method at this point from, from the, beginning, the, the very beginning, and we know that the enemy has a way. We can kind of look through all these things in Scripture. We know, okay, what is the way of the enemy? And so here's the first thing. You have the temptation for the physical. We have the the temptation here, right? If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. And and Jesus said, it is written that that you should not live by by bread alone. Man, can we at least agree that if Jesus was fully God, fully man, and he experienced everything that man has experienced, man, Jesus was hungry, he was, he was hung 40 days without food. And the, the devil's pretty much going like, well, if you are the son of God, why should the son of man have to suffer, suffer in such ways? Why should he have to suffer? Why should, why should you be hungry? Like, this is ridiculous. Come on. Use your power to satisfy what you need most. And right now, Jesus, I'm pretty sure it's food because you haven't eaten for 40 days. I know, I've been watching you. Now, I don't know if that's actually in Scripture. That's kind of my, my subtle side point, right? But, you know, the, the enemy is saying, like, look, do it. You know you, know you want it. You, you, you know you need it. And he, and he was, says he was, he was hungry. Right? And, and the question is, like, okay, so, so Andy, if he would have done that, if he would have turned the, the bread into someone, he'd been sinning, you know, I don't know. What we do know is that his fast of 40 days had ended and he was hungry. So could he very well have just said, fine, I'll turn it into bread? Sure. But what he's pointing to is that, is that he is pursuing Christ. He's trying, or he's pursuing the Father. He's trying to press into, into the Father, right? And even on the, the temptation of the physical, like when we, we're challenged to fulfill our physical needs and desire at the, at, at the altar of the obedience of God too. And so Jesus can, can walk with us in that way. We desire our own physical needs, our own physical wants on the altar of the obedience to God. Sex, money, right? Like <laughs> things like life, right? Uh, you know, I've heard people say that when they re- they're going to retire, they're like, hey, yeah, yeah, when, when I'm going to retire, you know, like I'm going to do this and I'm going to go here and, and, and I'm, I'm going to do this. And you know what? Like I've done my part of serving the church. I've done my part. You know, it's time for someone else to, to step up and... Man, church, that's not the kingdom mindset. Can we agree with that? That is not the kingdom mindset. God never said, like, when you hit the age of retirement, you can go and now do whatever you want to do. In fact, like, I love it when people say, hey, I have more time on my hands. I'm going to do more for the kingdom. 
I'm going to use my talents and my ability and my finances. You know what? I'm not going to necessarily go on on my vacation to this place, but I'm going to go on the mission field and serve part-time. Or I'm going to go and serve on an extended trip with with IMB or International Mission Board or whoever. Now, now, hear hear me when I say this. Vacations are not bad, right? Vacations are good and needed, and trust me, I need one, (laughs) right? In my my craziness, right? Um, And and we, we look at that. We all need vacations. There's nothing wrong with that. But the enemy is trying to get us so often to ignore obedience for the idols in our lives. And in this case, this was a physical thing of, of, of needing food, need, needing substance. There's nothing wrong with these things, but, but church, hear me. Everything outside of, of Christ is on faulty ground already. Yeah, okay, so, so Jesus could have made the stone bread but he was relying on God to sustain him. We need to know that. Jesus' response to the enemy is what Israel should have learned in their 40 years in the desert. Right? Because it says that Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by, by bread alone. But if you look at the Matthew 4 account, so between Matthew 4 and Luke 4, you get a, a fuller picture of the temptation of Jesus. In the Matthew 4 account, it, it quotes Jesus saying this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we see the proof here that he's pressing in to the Father. He needs to be sustained by God, and Christ fought the enemy by knowing God and knowing his word. That's clear as day. And Look, we are said that we are one of the most biblically illiterate generations of all time. How can we fight the enemy with the word of God if we don't know the word of God? Now, I know it's a pretty generalized statement, but it's true. You know, when, when I was at Southeastern, I had the opportunity to sit down with, with a Chinese pastor who runs a house church, and he goes, hey, you know what? Some of the best ways that we, we memorize scripture, or, or that we know scripture is we memorize it. We commit it to our hearts and commit it to our minds because the day that, that, that our Bibles are taken away, I can still preach. The day that the Bible is taken away from me, I still have the word of God in in me. He's like, in in the day that I'm walking through the streets and I can't seem to find my scriptures at hand, I can still call to memory the scriptures that will call them to repentance. You know, I still remember that conversation. And we're so tempted for the things of of the physical. And in this way, for Jesus' food, for us, it's so many, so many other things but it doesn't just stop there. So you have that temptation for the physical, and then you have the temptation for power. It says, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to them, sorry, and he showed him all the kings of the world in a moment of time, and he said to him, to you I will give you all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I please. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. I'm just going to say this from, from, from the top of it, right? It scares me that if the enemy came to us and offered us those things, how many of us would actually hesitate not to say no? And it kind of scares me even more how many of us would actually be like, ah, okay, I mean, it's so much power, it's so, so much notoriety, it's so much, like, it could be wealth, but what's everything tied to these things? And like, like most people think in this culture that money and power will make their, their problems disappear when usually that, that creates more of, a, more of a problem and usually does the opposite. 
And like this, trust me, like this is even pastorally too. Like we, we get to this phrase where we're like, all right, well, you know what? I could do this conference and then this conference and people would begin to know my name. And as they begin to know my name, then, then it may, it's like, hey, that's, that's financial security right there. And that, that's job security because, I mean, if you have a big enough name, like who doesn't want to hear you speak? And we have to walk in a way of humility. So I said last week, like it's so easy for us as pastors to become so prideful. And I'm only speaking directly to pastors because I am one. So I, I can speak into that. And, and we, we fall into that, right? We, we have to be careful of seeking earthly power when we have to pursue humility and trust in the Lord, right? It says, that, it says that the enemy showed him everything, all the kingdoms of the earth in a moment of time. Now, when, there's a lot of different interpretations of that, but this is how I've come to understand this passage, is that the enemy was able to show him all of the kingdoms from the past, present, and future all within a single screenshot of time. He says, I will give you all of it if you will essentially worship me. All the kingdoms in, in one swift moment, and, and he, he promised them to, the, to, to, to Christ. I do think it's ironic, though, that, that the enemy tells him this, but then what do we know? Jesus, after he has ascended in Matthew 28, says this, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? It's like, Okay, it's interesting, right? That the devil's trying to give God something that was already God's. And we look at that. The devil is called the God of this age or the God of this world, but he is limited. The devil wanted God to worship him, to bow at his feet and worship him. And I know it's a little bit more subtler in culture. Like, we don't blatantly, like, make deals with the devil, Right? We don't, we don't offer the devil our, our worship for an exchange of something else. Like, it's, you know, we, we would never, it's like, I do not talk to the devil, right? But we do it in subtler ways, right? We have to be careful when we cheat or steal or lie to get ahead, right? That's one way. When we neglect what we shouldn't to gain something we don't deserve, when we allow distraction and disobedience to skew our walk with Christ and our relationship with, with Christ. And again, he, but Jesus, he fights back again with Scripture and by quoting Scripture. He says, Jesus answered him, verse 8, says, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and, ser- and him only shall you serve. There, there's a quote from a, a theologian named Tabidi. I'm going to butcher his last name, but I think it's Enuwibly, right? But he says this, sometimes Christians debate whether Satan could really do this. I think the debate indicates that we are not Jesus. But pay attention to this last line. The moment we begin to entertain whether Satan can deliver on a promise, we're already losing the spiritual battle. The moment we entertain whether Satan could actually do something he said he could do, we are already losing the spiritual battle. And, and again, this, this is subtle, but we, we, we do entertain these things by allowing our, our minds to go to a place that God never intended. We have God's design for our lives, and anything outside of God's design is sin. And the moment that we flee into sin, we are kind of entertaining the purpose of saying, can the devil really offer me something better than what God has promised me? And we begin the slippery slope of losing that battle. 
And this is where so often like we're like, oh, it's not that bad. It's just kind of like a little, little sidestep. I just went there for a moment. Yeah, but a moment becomes a day, becomes a year. And kind of like what we referenced last week with Paul Tripp, you have sin, which becomes slavery, which becomes tragedy. And all these things on the slippery slope of life, when we begin to, to get there, usually, man, I'm, I'm going to put it this way. I was, uh, I was leading a group of students to um, student life camp about two, three years ago in Ridgecrest, North Carolina, beautiful campus, um, very hilly, stuff like that. Well, we were up on the rec field, which is kind of like halfway up the top of the mountain, and it starts pouring down rain. Well, if you know anything about me, the Florida boy, right? I'm from Virginia, right? But I grew up in Florida. And one thing that has stuck with me as a, as a Floridian is that I wear sandals everywhere. My friends make fun of me because I go out in, in the snow barefoot, right? Some of you guys are like, that's frostbite, right? But, but I, I, not for long, right? But I do, and I walk around and get things done. I run outside, and what's the point of putting on shoes? But I wear sandals to where they are so slick on the bottom that, like, there's no traction, Right? Even the other day, walking in the food base, it had sandals on, it had been wet outside, and I walked right in, and I like slid halfway across the floor. Luckily, I didn't eat it, but, right? But I say that because this is the, the sense of the slippery slope. It's pouring down rain, Ridgecrest, North Carolina, and there is a probably, I don't know, only a 10-foot drop, and it's, it's down a pretty sharp hill, and I'm wearing my sandals, and I'm like, you know what? I don't need to walk the 20 yards away to, to cut down the switchback, and I'll just, I'll just kind of cut down here. You guys know where this is going, right? Here I start going, and whoop! My back hitting the ground was so loud that I had this medical staff of student life at the rec field run over to see if I was okay, right? I sounded like uh, probably Marv coming down home alone steps, right? And, and they're all sitting there, and they're like, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm like, yeah. But it's such a truth of, like, the slippery slope. Like, I, like for the first few steps, I actually kind of had it, and I was doing okay. And then my back was on the ground. My, my breath was knocked out of me, and I was like, where am I, right? And, and that's often what, what happens in, in, in these moments, right? But the moment that we, we begin to entertain whether he can deliver our promise, we're already hitting that slippery slope, and then we're already losing the spiritual battle. Right? This is the world of the if-eyes. If I do this, even though it's not ethical, or if I do this, even though it's not moral, or if I do this, no one will know. I won't get caught. I won't get found out. I won't be exposed. Yes, you will. Maybe not now. Maybe not in a year from now. But what scriptures say, all things will be found out. We will be exposed. And that's the truth of that. And sometimes the, the temptation for power in our lives is the power to be in control of our lives. We say, God, I know you want me to do this, but I want to do this. Now, there's nothing wrong. I do believe that God gives us choice in things, right? But so often, we know the difference between obedience and disobedience in our lives. And how often do we choose disobedience because it's going to get us a shorter path of where we want to go? Or it's going to give us something that we want in that moment? And Jesus is fighting it off, saying, look, look, no, 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 that's not how it works. You shall worship me. You want me to worship you? No, you're only going to worship God. And then we have verses 9 through 12 and the temptation of, of protection. He says, and then he took him to Jerusalem. The devil took Jesus to Jerusalem and he set him on the pinnacle of, of the temple and, and said to him, if, again, here's that phrase, if you are the son of God, <laughs> if you are who you say you are, if you, if you claim and follow who you say you are, he said this, throw yourself down from here. 
For it's written, right? Your own scripture says, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So I want to kind of set this, right? He says he takes him up to the pinnacle. Now, now there's a lot of different commentators that say things, but there's usually two common conclusions. And so what, what is the pinnacle? It is either the roof of the sanctuary or the height of, of the portico below the sanctuary. Either way, either way, at the corner of where Jesus is apparently standing is below him is the Kindron Valley, which is a 400 to 500 foot drop below him. So he's standing on the pinnacle and the enemy's saying, like, look, you got 500 feet. Throw yourself over because you're in Scripture say that God's not going to let you break if you really are his son. And he says, look, it is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And, and the devil is saying this. If he loves you, he will save you for sure. Right? Kind of like what, what we do, right? God, if you really love me. Right? So, you know, would, the Father had, would God the Father have saved him? Sure. Right? I, I don't, I don't want to debate that point. You know, it could have been tempting for Jesus to do, look, for everyone to, to see who he was. Yeah, sure, because it probably would have made his ministry a lot easier. The pinnacle of the temple is not some isolated, desolate place. The devil brought him from the desert into the city. And he says, now that people can see you, now that you're in a crowded area, now that, now, you know, imagine looking up and being like, huh. There's Jesus in Nazareth. He is very high up. And he's saying this, if you jump off, like the angels will come, they'll stop you from falling, and guess what? Guess what, Jesus? People will know who you are. You know, and that's, for me, like if I was, I look at the rest of the life of Christ and, and those who hated him, those who reviled him, those who loved him too, who eventually would turn on him, could have been tempting for Jesus to do this and, and for everyone to see who he was. Yeah, sure. The enemy says this. Okay, Jesus, you, you know scripture apparently. <laughs> Watch this. So do I. And he turns the scriptures and the, 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 the so do I. And we, this is why I say, church, like we, we must know scripture in its context. The devil starts here quoting Psalm 91. But outside of the, his intention and his contact, he, he, took what, he took what was right and changed it to fit what he actually meant. Now, this morning, 8.15, during our prayer time, I, I read the part of Psalm 91 that, that the devil quoted in context. And here's the hysterical thing. Is that the enemy is quoting a psalm saying, like, hey, you, God will, the Father will protect you, Jesus. Just throw yourself over. But the rest of the psalm talks about the, the heel of the Son of Man killing the serpent's head. It's just kind of funny. He's quoting a psalm that's about his demise to try to, to, to switch and, and see if Jesus will, will, will take this thing or take God and test God. And here's the reality. Like if the, if the enemy is going to take and twist scripture to try to tempt and fool Jesus, do you not think he's going to do it to you? Do you not think he's going to do it to me? Do you not think he's going to say, hey, look, but what this really actually says can be a lot better for you if you actually just take a little bit out of context. That's a dangerous place to be, church. When we start saying that things mean what they don't, man. And then we wonder why we have so many wacky theologies out there. 
And we turn around and we wonder why we have so much kind of bombarding us. Or when you get into a conversation with another quote-unquote Christian at, at your job or whatever else, and they turn around and be like, well, no, that scripture doesn't say that. They're like, no, no, it really does. And they're like, no, it says I'm going to be rich and wealthy. It says I'm not going to have any problems if I turn to Jesus. Dude, we are not, re- well, we're reading the same Bible, sure, but we're not reading the same interpretation. Now, again, church, like I said last week, there's, there's some open dialogue between interpretations of Scripture that you can both fall on biblically and correct theology. But there's some things, man, that's just really out there. And this is one of those things where the devil tries to twist Scripture, and it's really out there. I could probably take a majority of Scripture and twist it and make you think that I'm something that I'm not. We all can do that, and we have to be careful. And I love Jesus answers them. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the task. So Jesus turns and says, let's do this in context, man. See, the devil tempted Jesus to, to trust God to see if he really, really loved him. Does the Father really love you? And I wonder what the devil was thinking, right? I wonder what the devil was thinking for that moment when Jesus was walking, bloodied, bruised, and broken up the hill to Golgotha to hit the cross. Could you imagine the enemy just for that moment probably being like, man, my deal seemed a lot easier than that. But see, we, we know the end of the story on that, right? We know the end of the story. Let's look at verse 13. And this is where I want us to pay attention. This is where I want us to be, to be careful. Verse 13, verse 13 said this, and when... The devil had ended every temptation. He departed from him until the opportune time. So, so the devil had three temptations. To, so, so Jesus had three temptations to prove to the devil and others who, who he said he was. And, and three times Christ fought the temptation. And then Jesus stood alone against the devil. And again, resisted the temptations that only he alone could endure. I'm pretty positive that if I was in the feet or in the shoes of Jesus in that moment, that I would have struggled a lot harder than Jesus himself. And this is what makes Jesus, Jesus, and me, me. Right? The, the enemy, look, look at the rest of this. He departed from him because he didn't have a foothold there, but from him until an opportune time. The enemy will not stop. He'll come back to you later when your guard is down. If he doesn't get you one time, I guarantee you he'll try to get you at another. How do I know that? Because the text says he's going to come back for Jesus at an opportune time. What makes you think he's going to stop for us? And, and we, we see that like this proves that Jesus is not like us, but church, we must become like him. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, For this is the will of God, that your sanctification, for you to become more like Christ, for you to take on the attitude of Christ, the humility of Christ, the heart of Christ. Jesus did what we surely could not have done. And this is why, so all this, you're saying, Andy, where's that? Okay, Jesus keeps on getting tempted. I know he takes the temptation for us. So this Church is the road to victory. At that moment, at this moment, this is a long, difficult road. And for anyone who has ever walked it and come out on the other side, you know it is so worth it. It is so, so worth it. There's an early church father named Ambrose. He says this, 
uh, Jesus was led into the desert for a purpose in order to challenge the devil. If he had not fought, if Jesus had not fought, he would not have conquered the enemy for me. If Jesus would have rolled over and been like, yeah, I can do all that stuff. Yeah, I can do it. No problem. He wouldn't have conquered the, the enemy for me. And so the question is like, how, how is this done then, right? If you have this, this, this road to victory, Andy, like how, how is this done? I had a conversation with a friend the other day very briefly, and he was like, look, he's like, when you have these things going wrong, like when you're trying to lay everything at the feet of Jesus and you just can't seem to make any headway. Like, Andy, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm struggling in that. I know that's what I need to do, and I believe that I'm doing it. This is not a belief thing. This is a, a true struggle with who I am as a person thing. And I think that's a lot of things. That's where we find ourselves. It's like I am trying to lay these things at the feet of Jesus, but every time the enemy gets a grip or, or I take a breath and I let my guard down for a moment, he brings these things right back up into my face. And I'm like, I thought I left it at the feet of Jesus. I thought I put that away, but yet it's back here in front of me again. I think if we're honest, like that's, that's where we all find ourselves so often. This is where it's easy to get angry or to have to, to deal with the people who say really unhelpful things at really bad times, though they, they really mean it in a, in a gentle, loving way. Like, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to have the road to victory. I know it's all in Christ, but, but the reality of the battle and everything is still sitting right in front of me. And then you have the, mel, the, the well-meaning friend who walks up. Well, brother. And they say the most absurd thing, and you just kind of want to slap them and walk away. I mean, we've all been there. Can we at least agree with that? And, and so... You know, how do, we, how do we make headway? How do we do these things, right? And this is the great thing, that Jesus doesn't expect us to walk our Christianity and our life uh, with believers alone. This is why he's given us community. You guys can thank Pastor Brent for, for, for this, because as, as, I, as I was talking through him some of these points, he's like, yeah, this is why God gave us community, right? And it was like a light bulb. I'm like, exactly right. And so... You know, we look at it like this is why these things are done in community. Like we bear one another's burdens. We do the one another's with each other and for each other. We weep with one another. We rejoice with one another. We, we rebuke one another if we must. We lift up one another. We challenge one another, right? And all these things are done in that way. And how do we, how do we know that this is done in community? Because one, if you look at verse 14, it says this, and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. So one, he wasn't alone. He had the Spirit walking with him. So as the Spirit was leading him through this temptation, the Spirit never left him. The Spirit was guiding him. And then in the account of Matthew 4, to get the more complete picture, it says this. After Jesus was released from the temptations of the enemy, it says this. The angels came and ministered to him. So even our Savior wasn't alone in the midst of this temptation. And at the end of it, he surely wasn't alone because he was ministered to by the angels. We have more energy to fight the enemy when we have seen him flee before. This is why James writes in James chapter 4 that we, that we must submit to God and resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Press into God and he will press into you. And we, we see all that collectively, but we need to know this, and this is the last thing I'm going to say. It's not how it begins, church. It's how it ends. 
Every single time, it doesn't matter how it ends. It doesn't matter in what manner that it begins, but it's how it ends. Jesus was the the second Adam. He succeeded where Adam failed, and the reason we have victory in the battle is because Jesus had victory first. And that's something we need to be reminded of. And again, like I said, I know that's easier said than done so often in time. We don't face temptation alone. We don't face the battle alone. We don't suffer alone. We have a king who walks with us, who fights with us, who suffers with us and for us. We're about to sing, This is How I Fight My Battles. And in that song, it talks about the Lord preparing a table for us. And he does. The Lord prepares a a table before us. And he gave himself for us. And in the midst of our battle, if we can just get to that place, it'll be okay. Sometimes that that road is is difficult. Sometimes that road is is hard. But when we get there, when we finally get to a point where we turn to Christ, for some of us that's quicker than others, right? When we get to a a place where when, when we get there and we're with our Savior, we know that he has conquered temptation and we know that he has conquered our sin. We know that he has conquered death and he sits at the, the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He alone is the, is the victor and, and we have victory through him. Now, if you are not in Christ, you do not have that victory. And this is where we say, consider the cost. And this is where we say, we must follow Christ in order to have victory in Christ. We cannot be okay with living a disobedient life. We can't be okay living it our own way. We can't be okay just knowing that there's the, ba- the battle is real and trying to find purpose in the mess if we don't have victory in Christ. Church, it, it is not how the battle begins. I mean, if it was, Genesis 3 would be a pretty long haul between there and now. It's how the battle ends, and we know the end of the battle. We know that Jesus conquered death. We know that he's taken our sin, and we know that he is alive today. That is how we have victory in the battle. It's through Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray together. Father God, we stand in your mercy, God. God, we, we stand in humbled spirits. God, I got to think about this week and, and the temptations that you bore, God. And, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't deal with these temptations in the face of all these things that are considered grandeur. And I know I couldn't stand before the, the cross. And God, you, you have given me victory because of who you are. Because you've taken the sin of the world on your shoulders, God, that for whoever confesses and believes in you, God, they'll have eternity with you. God, I pray that for, for myself and for, for anyone who, who's struggling, uh, dealing with this and, and understanding this concept, God, I pray that this would be the moment that they would just respond to you and to your gift of salvation. God, I pray that you would be made known, God, knowing that you have overcome temptation for us. And we have the victory in you. God, we love you. And it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.